Welcome to Abroad Podcast, the podcast of Robert Science. I'm Robert Science. Joining me today is actor Dominic Pace. Dominic has been in over 80 film and TV shows, including SNL, NYPD Blue, The District, Angel, Prison Break, NCIS Los Angeles, as well as several recent projects, My True Fairy Tale, Broom Street Boys, which is currently in post-production, as well as The Gig of the Century, The Mandalorian on Disney+, Plus, where Dominic Pace plays Gecko the Bounty Hunter. Um, welcome again. Thank you for joining me. And uh, how are you? <laughs> I'm doing good. I mean, uh, considering the whole country is uh, on fire. Other than that, I think uh, it's it's actually been really amazing. I'm so excited to plan this tour, but I mean, it's just one thing after another is just going wrong, you know. So what are you going to do? You know, you just kind of roll with the punches and hopefully uh, uh, the, the waters will settle here in a few days with uh, the, all the, the trauma in the, uh, the country right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of freaking me out. I'm kind of like up and down with my like one minute I'm all right. One minute I'm like. Oh my God. Uh, sometimes I'm not sleeping. Sometimes I'm like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so, okay. So I'm going to start going to ask you questions to maybe answer some of the uh, fans' biggest questions. Okay. Sure. You have over 80 films and TV shows in your name. What inspired you to get into acting and how did things begin for you? Uh, I love that. You know, I feel like in this day and age, obviously everything's, there's so much political correctness. And I feel like within each and every one of us, there is a animal. There is just a, uh, a beast in many ways. And the beautiful thing about performance is that you can do anything you want. You're in this imaginary world. Uh, and I think we have all of these emotions, you know, and, and for people who work corporate jobs, uh, my heart goes out in so many ways. I have such a tremendous amount of respect because deep down inside, we all want to get angry. We all want to be happy, just tears of joy at times. Uh, we all go through our moods in one way or another, but at the same time, and of course in the real world, including myself, you have to keep yourself pretty contained. When I was 16 years old, I felt the energy for the first time. I started my high school musical called Grease. Uh, I played Danny Zuko. I actually had hair at the time. I actually was a little more handsome. And uh, just the adrenaline rush uh, was just uh, absolutely amazing. And it made me feel alive. And even to this day, I had to put myself on tape for an audition yesterday. There is nothing better. There is no better feeling than having that feeling of being alive. I think each one of us, whether you're an artist, uh, an actor or not, not necessarily an artist. An artist it has to be everybody It's an artist. Um, but I think we need to find this within our our own self in order to have that emotional out. You know, obviously now there's a tremendous amount of protest going on. And in terms of just the verbal, I think it's just very helpful for all of our mental health to be able to get it out. And, to, and because I think more and more we become in touch with ourselves. And that's why it's so important to always keep our circles surrounded with love and positivity. Um, because then you're able to let your artist speak for yourself and you're able to be accepted and to receive that love, but also to give that love in return, not only in the real world, but also on screen. So ultimately, it's that adrenaline rush. It's still here to this day, 25 years later. And uh, I look forward to a long uh, career ahead there as well. Yeah, um, I was reading a little bit about um, about your experience with Greece. And I was like, and I, and I went on your YouTube channel and I saw um, that you visited a lot of the sites. And then at one point you walked into... I think it was Huntington Park High School. Okay. Um, I think it was, but it was like where they had the prom on Greece. And um, I didn't know what was happening yet because I hadn't gone to, I was just like checking out some of the videos first. And then you started doing the the, the dance moves. And yeah. I was like, what the yeah. shit? <laughs> you know? um, it was just very surprising because uh, I, I, don't, I don't really know anybody who uh, is into Greece as much as I was. Because when I was little, I used to um, put the cassette in, play it, 
take the cassette out, rewind it, play it over and over again. Like I was at, you know, whatever. So I was like, I had a really good time watching. Um, it was kind of like touching too, to see you go to those places that like actually exist. And I didn't even really realize how many, um, sites there were in Southern California, like in the LA, like Hollywood, um, you know, area. And yeah. yeah, so. yeah. Three, three particular films that are classics, modern day classics, which is Karate Kid, Back to the Future and Grease. And the beautiful thing about Southern California is that you have a tremendous amount of those locations. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's shot entirely on location. I mean, they've got hundreds and hundreds more, you know, I mean, now it's going to be less and less with, you know, new technology and the LED screens. But there's just something so magical. I, I guess, you know, I, I, I don't know if everybody would have feel the same magic, but for me, uh, there's a certain moment, almost like the Mary Poppins uh, moment there, where they all kind of jump into a painting. And it's like, you know, <laughs> my favorite painting. And I've done this all throughout the country. Uh, my favorite John Hughes films in Chicago, uh, The Godfather House over in uh, New York, The Ghostbusters Firehouse. But there's just this really cool feeling that overcomes me. You know, that was mostly the inspiration, too, to want to become an actor is these amazing films that we grew up with in the 80s. Uh, but just actually being, in, you know, putting putting yourself in the footsteps of some of these legends, but having this 360 degree view of literally being inside the movie in certain ways. I mean, you have to have a, a vivid imagination. But uh, Grease was one of my favorites, of course. You know, always a big fan of John Travolta and Olivia Newton-John. So it was really a fun journey for me and to put that cheesy video together. But you know, I just I, I love the amusement of life, and uh, I, I just uh, dive in head first with all the pop culture there, and especially movie locations. Yeah, it was really cool. I saw like you were at the Exorcist house. You were like the most random spot that I thought was like um, uh, Cameron 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 Fry's house on um, Ferris Bueller's Day Off's dad's garage. <laughs> yes. like, oh my god, that's like a thing, and it exists. It's so cool. So random. Cool. I mean, some of the locations really got got you know odd there, you know, at times. But uh, uh, you know, it, there's just been classic ones too. I'm just about to embark on a cross country trip. Uh, and, and the Field of Dreams field in Iowa is just heavenly. If you go through Tulsa, Oklahoma, if you're a fan of the classic The Outsiders, just driving on the streets, not even in the locations in particular, but it kind of gives you that feel that Essie Hinton wanted uh, through her amazing book uh, of just being part of that, that amazing crew, the most legendary movie stars of yeah. all time. Yeah. But I just love that magic, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. I still have a few left in my bucket list, but uh, I'll save them as, as the years progress there. What uh what inspired you to um, decide to um, like share that with uh, like with people on your YouTube channel? You know, look, I mean, there's so much negativity in the world, and for me, the one thing, even when I was a kid, and I, I you know, it breaks my heart. I, I had a pretty balanced school. We didn't have too many bullies or tough guys or what have you. But the one thing that bothers me, and the one thing that I'm so inspired with with the conventions, is people who are themselves. You know, there's a lot of cosplay at these conventions and people, they get dressed up and they don't care what other people think. And the one thing for me is truly enjoying life and not worrying what other people think and truly just whatever that little oddity is about you, as long as it's not affecting other people, even your political beliefs, your social beliefs, as long as you're not imposing it on others, but just sharing, you know, your joy or your opinion just for yourself respectfully, but also respecting other people's hobbies and stuff. I think that's the most beautiful thing you can share on social media. You know, obviously, I know that we see a lot of the, the feed right now. There's a lot of toxicity and, and for good reason. Yeah. But at the same time, for me, if I can order people, offer people an escape, you know, even with this tour right now, with all the drama going on, but to just offer just a little piece to be a small ambassador of the Star Wars universe, to me, that just means so much that I'm able to add to somebody's life 
in a positive way. And for a moment, just to forget about all the other negative things in the world and just go back to what it is that we truly all enjoy, which is entertainment, the love of pop culture, and just having a good time. Yeah, and I really appreciate that. I mean, it's uh, sometimes hard to find people to look up to. So, um, you know, for for I've seen some of the ways you are with um, your fans, and uh, I'm just kind of like, I don't know, it's very touching because, uh, you know, I, I don't think that a lot of people sometimes um, get to experience um, just being talked to and being treated um, with respect and uh, appreciation, just like they're the same um, and they deserve to be treated a certain way. So um, that's that's uh, very admirable. So I appreciate that. Um, thank you okay. for that. I appreciate everyone too. You know, I, I've been at this for 20 plus years and just now I'm starting to come, you know, a little bit more into the spotlight there. But, you know, the one thing, I mean, I don't know if my peers as, of actors uh, would disagree, but you know, Jerry Lewis used to be a real hardhead. He was really talented, um, but he just felt like, you know what? I don't owe anyone anything. Once I step off stage, I don't owe you one thing. Well, for <laughs> me, I wouldn't be here, especially as a side character, if it was for if it wasn't for all the support of the fans and and my friends. I mean, I don't want to call them fan, uh, fans, but just dear friends of mine now who I'm meeting all over the country, all over the world, uh, to share our love of Star Wars and also pop culture. So I appreciate everyone, and anything I can do in return to cheer someone's day up just means the world to me. Well, yeah, you have with mine. So, and I really appreciate what you do. So, um, so you're all you're working a book. You're working on a book right now for um, all of the sites that you uh, go to visit. Yeah. Um, do you have a working title for that, or? Uh, well, it would be movie locations across the country. Uh, you know, it would be more or less just uh, an ultimate road trip for the pop culture fan. Oh. <laughs> uh, by Dominic Pace. So for me. The great thing, say, the state of Oregon is that you can break it up uh, into the Goonies, uh, Stand By Me, and also the Shining. <laughs> so what I wanted to add to that was also, as an Italian, I love food. So what I wanted to do is also include, like, you know, the place to go to eat or try something different. Oregon's really well known for their Pinot Noir. Uh, you know, or again, you know, to go over to Iowa, but to have that road trip from Field of Dreams to all the John Hughes locations and to break that up in one day with addresses and such. Um, so ultimately, it's not just wanting to give addresses, but also at the same time incorporated with mini road trips or long road trips all the way across the country, uh, which I think will make a great uh, coffee table book there. Yeah, that's really cool. I, I wouldn't have thought, I mean, until I saw some of the stuff on your channel, I was like, oh, I, I, I mean, you don't, I guess you don't really think about it too much. But um, I mean, like the, the, the house um, from uh, Christmas Story, you yes. visited, and I was like, how is this? How is it? Because... It was just really weird for me because you were literally going to all these places that um, me and my brothers, I have three three brothers, two older, one younger. And um, I when we were growing up, we would just, you know, we put the every Christmas, we watch that movie over and over again, you know, and just the thing, the places that you're going to are just so like, man, this is so cool because like, I wish I could do that. And then to even like, get, I mean, I know that there's a, I don't remember the name of the site, but um, there's a site that has uh, a lot of, um, a lot of uh, addresses and, and uh, knows, knows a lot of locations about um, places that, you know, we've seen and we've grown up with. And uh, just to see you making a book about it, like, that's just like such a cool thing. Like, uh, Yeah, there's know. a lot of major fans. There was another gentleman, forgive me, I, I don't remember his name, but he literally will. He's also a filmmaker. So he would go shot by shot, say, he'd go up to Washington State and do the original Rambo. Or he would do Back to the Future or Karate Kid. And it would merge from the film to his own uh, uh, cut 
to where he would walk right into the scene. And it was really cool how he did it. I don't know if he does it anymore. I kind of lost touch. And again, the hobby kind of faded over the years once I hit all of my, uh, most of my favorite movie locations. But uh, there's a lot of great fans out there. Again, it's a fun, it's a fun road trip uh, as opposed to, I mean, some people are in, really into history, like visiting every Civil War site. But for oh, me, yeah. I think there's a really uh, great little hook there in terms of, you know, not only the movie locations, but also at the same time, uh, you know, different bed and breakfasts and also uh, really unique food all throughout the country. So that's always a lot of fun, too. Yeah, that's going to be cool when, when, when you're finished with uh, that's something to look forward to. Um, OK, so now I'm going to get into um, Star Wars land, not Star Wars land land, but Star Wars like land um, yeah. mentally. Um, yeah. OK, so you started in The Mandalorian as Gecko the Bounty Hunter. Can you tell us what the process was like um, officially becoming part of the Star Wars universe? So sure. like. Did George Lucas just call you up and say, hey? I wish. I wish. <laughs> uh, I wish it was more established. It just kind of fell upon me. I, I'm a blue-collar actor. I take every job. I, I've booked a number of guest stars, which is uh, almost the highest level of television, aside from recurring and series regular. Uh, and I had agents over the years who were like, look, you just have to stay at this level. Do not drop the low here, because then you're going to be judged. And for me... I didn't care because I always loved being on set no matter what the job was. So even if it was speaking, non-speaking, whether I was just doing prosthetics, it didn't matter to me because I would rather be on set than working an odd job throughout my career. So even if I would hit like a major guest star for a major network show at 8 p.m. on a Friday night, the next day, I don't want to just sit there and wait for my agent. So I take any jobs that I can. I had previous prosthetic experience. I doubled Frankenstein on Van Helsing. I was also in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. as a Cree, um, which was extensive makeup work. It was about an hour and a half. And then also I was in um, a Bright with Will Smith with a really, really tight mask as an orc. So I had previous experience, and it was just a simple makeup test for this legendary company called Legacy Effects. The gentleman, one of the gentlemen who heads it up, he's a master of his craft. His name is Brian Sipe, and Brian is really who I owe this entire childhood dream to because obviously, I, as so many know, I'm a, a lifelong Star Wars fan. Um, he brought me in for a six-hour test where he split my head, split my face in half, where he had prosthetics on one side. He was working with different makeup angles on another for just generally uh, to give samples to the production of a project that I had no idea uh, I was about to be involved in. <laughs> so I just politely gave him my business card. I've always been respectful. I've always been just really humble and appreciative. And he appreciated that. It wasn't until two weeks later that I got on set that even the project's name uh, threw me because it was called Huckleberry. It was a, it was a code name. Uh, it wasn't until I saw in the wardrobe room uh, just some of the blueprints uh, for, the, for, the, uh, for the makeup designer and also the costume designer uh, uh, and that any Star Wars fan will be able to relate to that you knew that it was going to be Star Wars. And that is really <laughs> what I always say is where my hands went a little numb. Uh, I needed a second there. And it's so funny because people are like, well, you've been around celebrities, you know, for 20 years and you've had bigger roles and you, you've been, you know, it's not even starting movies, you know, for Sci-Fi Channel and Lifetime. But at the same time, Star Wars was the whole reason I think not only myself, but so many Generation Xers got involved in this business. So when I realized what it was and I saw my name next to the word bounty hunter, and again, this was just, it started out as a featured part, but Brian put so much work into my character that, and the great thing is about the fans is they love even the detail of the side characters. You know, when I was a kid, not only do I have Han Solo, but I also had Walrus Man. If you had Princess Leia, you also had Greedo or Hammerhead, who literally was just sitting in a bar. <laughs> for less than, he had less screen time than I did, and Hammerhead 
is like a legend, you know? <laughs> so I think that's what it sort of turned into. It got bigger and bigger, and over the months, it's getting, you know, larger and larger. Uh, we hope that the, the character will continue on. Uh, the, the irony to it is I don't think they had any plans whatsoever other than episode one or three. But the great thing is, just similar to Boba Fett, them killing him off in the Sarlacc pit, when the fans start speaking up and when you realize how cool the design is, yeah. uh, you got to put them back in the show. So <laughs> I'm hopeful that we'll get that phone call from Disney. I know that there's some exciting things in the works uh, through Marvel uh, Comics with uh, Gecko, but ultimately um, it just was a dream come true, even if it ends today, uh, just to have had that amazing experience for 10 days on set in a, a dream uh, appearance of a lifetime for a diehard Star Wars fan. Um, what was the coolest thing you experienced while you were on set? And, um, I mean, you just told me about uh, when you realized, I mean, when you realized that you were um, looking at some pre, uh, pre-set stuff, um, yeah. when you were actually on set looking around, I know you get asked this a lot, but um, yeah. uh, what would you say that was? There were four things that, I mean, I can't even select. I mean, one was seeing George Lucas on day one, talk with John Favreau inside the cantina. <laughs> uh, to bleed into the cantina, another special part for me was that the cantina was my first play set back in 1980. So here I am as a one-of-a-kind species in Bounty Hunter in my first play set. And for me, you know, and I'm sitting around, and obviously, you know, it's not no disrespect to other actors, but it was just so special for me being a lifelong fan to be within the universe, but also be that close to Lucas and the legendary Favreau now. That's um, iconic. That's crazy. On this, this adventure uh, of one of the greatest series now in the world. Um, I got to pick my own blaster. And I think anyone who loves uh, being a Jedi or loves being a Sith, you would love to pick out, you know, your weapon of choice. Well, for me, I love bounty hunters. The six original bounty hunters were absolutely amazing. So for me to select my own blaster uh, created by Legacy Effects, there are about 20 blasters on a big, large table, was just a dream come true. But the icing on the cake, was being able to flank Carl Weathers, the legendary Carl Weathers, played, uh, he played Brief Cargo so well. And to be able to, uh, what happens is I get tunnel vision when you get into performance and all the lights go away and you zone in on what you're focusing on. I did not know that it was Baby Yoda or the child as people would call it, um, but Boba Fett was one of my favorite action figures. And the fact that I had a gun in the imaginary world as Blaster pointed at one of my favorite figures, the entire universe went away and all of a sudden I'm walking and stepping in to the Star Wars universe with all the props and the smoke surrounding me, it was just one of the most magical feelings you can imagine. Imagine stepping in one of, you know, in, in <laughs> one of your favorite movies and being right there. I wish I could have taken every Star Wars fan into my heart, into my eyes, to have seen and to have felt that experience because it was just so, I mean, there's so much adrenaline pumping through me, I can't even tell you. That's so cool. Um, yeah, I can only imagine what would happen if like they did Grease five or something and then <laughs> i was like randomly on the set with john travolta i'd be like oh my god this is so weird but yes. i mean isn't that is that like a similar feeling um when you visit different different uh, uh movie locations to a certain extent yes i mean i almost got emotional uh, up in oregon because the town of brownsville oregon has almost been untouched since not only the 1950s but the 1980s when they filmed stand by me mm-hmm. and oh. my favorites you know growing up you know, in kind of that kind of suburban neighborhood. We were obviously a little bit more populated in uh, 45 minutes of New York, uh, north of New York City. But at the same time, to have those special memories with my friends and to step across that bridge or to see Gordy's house around the corner. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, to honor the late uh, River Phoenix there as well. It was really a special feeling. But then you go up to Astoria, Oregon, uh, to our, one of our favorite films of all time, Goonies. Um, and it was the same <laughs> feeling of being at the Goonies house uh, at the jail cell 
going down to Cannon Beach, which is so mystical. If you ever get a chance, within the continental United States, Cannon Beach is probably one of the coolest beaches you could ever imagine. Yeah. Uh, you have to set foot on that beach because it feels like you're walking right into a, a mysterious romantic pirate novel of some sort. <laughs> the rock formations feel like you walked into another planet of, of a fantasy island there. It's really, it's really special. So yeah, in many ways, um, going to those locations, I still have that magical feeling uh, of some of the legendary films, uh, but nothing will compare it to those <laughs> set of The Mandalorian. It was just beyond words there. Um, uh, who is the bounty hunter to you? Are, you, are there parts of the character that you identify personally as far as um, his role in uh, his role so far in uh, the Mandalorian? Let me, uh, are, are we, if you're going to get the camera there, let me, let me introduce him here. I had somebody <laughs> from uh, Texas who actually did a sculpture uh, of Gecko. Well, the funny thing with Gecko is that it's the beauty of becoming an actor <laughs> and playing pretend because I always joke that he would not like one thing about me. <laughs> he, I think he's completely unapologetic. Um, I think the fact that he was very close to Grief Targa during the standoff sends him in a very high rank within the guild. And what that wow. means is that he would have stopped at nothing to have uh, acquired the child and to have given the child back to where he was supposed to go. Um, so with that being said, don't necessarily identify with him, but that's the joy of acting. <laughs> that's the joy of performance in that I feel that this would be a bounty hunter that would be completely unapologetic. The exciting thing about him is that he has these really thick gauntlets, these forearm guards. And in my opinion, if they expand upon it to the Marvel comics or hopefully the series at some point or another Star Wars series, uh, I believe that it has, you know, everything from like little sticks of dynamite uh, to also like defense shields because they're so thick. And then also on that table of blasters, I picked the largest blaster. So I'm, a, I'm 250 pounds. I'm six foot four. I don't move. I don't have much agility. But I think that this blaster would have some really, really heavy power uh, to add to another, the next level within video games and also uh, to fight off some of the good guys and the bad guys in order to get his bounty there. So some really cool traits uh, to Gecko. He definitely needs this mask on most planets. I don't believe his own planet, uh, but he definitely needs his mask on all, his own planets. Um, but not too much in common, I'll tell you that. But that's also <laughs> fun of being able to be Gecko because uh, you're able to sort of transform into that other guy. You know, if you see some of my reel and my other performances, I, I, I don't play a nice guy half the time. You know, a lot of Italians, we don't really get cast as the nice guy next door. But the cool thing about that is that's the joy of acting to where you're able to step into the shoes of somebody else. And that's a lot of fun for me. <laughs> yeah, that's so, that's so not your personality. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I've had situations during auditions that have been really frustrating because uh, it'll, I'll be going in for a serial killer or a really tough guard, and they'll ask me how my day is or how my kids are, and I'm like, oh, my kids are great. <laughs> There's no way you're getting this role. And there was one time that it, the role meant a lot to me. My grandfather was about to pass away, and I said, guys, I said, hang tight for a second, okay? Uh, you know, this is just, this is fun. When I say hi to a casting director, it's hi as Dominic. But in terms of the character, just give me a few minutes and then we end up turning that page and then obviously we get down to business. So, uh, you know, it's, a, it's always a weird transition when they ask me how I'm doing because I don't, I don't want to go in as the character because you seem very standoffish and rude. Um, but also at the same time, you know, when it's time to turn it up, I turn it up there. <laughs> um, what do you envision as a storyline uh, and future for the character Gecko? Uh, well, in my... My, my dream is uh, Deborah Chow is directing 
uh, the Kenobi series. And my dream is that there, a Vader is commissioning a secret splinter cell unit of bounty hunters. And I would like to believe this takes place, obviously, before The Mandalorian, before Episode 4. Mandalorian takes place uh, at the end of Episode 6. Uh, but I would love Gecko to go on that journey to try and acquire Luke for Vader and uh, get a nice ass whip oh, from Hugh McGregor <laughs> uh, after a really good hard fart battle. Obviously not getting killed by him because, you know, I wouldn't end up in, uh, at the end of Episode 6. But uh, that would be the dream for Gecko to be able to embark upon trying to acquire the most precious bounty above the child, which is the legendary <laughs> and Christ-like almost uh, Luke Skywalker there. That would be absolutely amazing. Um, looking back to your appearance on Entertainment Tonight, when you were sharing your Star Wars collection with the world, fast forward to now being part of the Star Wars universe, what's that like? Um, I, I always love collecting. I mean, the one thing is, and you know, I guess people outside of the world don't understand, <laughs> is that just that it brings you back to that magic of childhood. You know, there's something uh, about, you know, people who collect, whatever it is, that bring back memories. I mean, why, when you move from one apartment to the other, you throw out half the stuff, you save the other half. Well, what you're saving are actually memories from maybe when you were with your grandmother, you know, or your grandfather when you were a kid, you know, just watching uh, Star Wars in, in, uh, in the corner room uh, in Yonkers, New York, to where you had your entire playset and you were able to use your imagination with that playset. Um, it's not so much about collecting toys. It's about collecting those memories and saving yeah. them, holding on to them. And during the 1980s, that was so special to me because I loved the bond that I had with my family. I also loved the bond that I had with uh, my friends growing up on my block of Ferris Place. So it really is uh, a continuation. And now that I have two sons, I was able to really have some special father-son time with uh, creating a Lego galaxy in their, uh, their bedroom, <laughs> which is so much fun. Uh, we're pretty much done now because I don't have, I'm, like any collector, you're running out of room. Uh, but we just had the greatest time putting together these Star Wars uh, Lego ships and uh, hang, hang, you know, hanging them in their, uh, on their ceiling. Uh, but I think it's really ultimately about the memories and the coolness. I mean, let's, let's hand it to George Lucas and John Favreau <laughs> and Dave Filoni about the design of these characters, you know, including Gecko, to where they're just kind of intricate and unique. And they just make the coolest collectibles. People don't even take them outside the box because <laughs> the design of the ships or design of the blasters or the characters are so unique, uh, you just have to collect. It's like Pokemon. You gotta, you gotta catch them all. As they say. Don't even get me started on that. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I remember um, my, me and my brothers used to have uh, just everything from from Star Wars to uh, to uh, He-Man and um, just. I mean, these are these are things that are like, yeah, that's psychotic. Like I had like everything, but um, He-Man was line, that line of mask. I remember collecting a team. I mean, Star Wars was really did my. You say, did you say mask? Uh, mask, yeah. That car show, right? Uh, yeah, it was like, yeah, the vehicles, they can kind of transform. That's crazy, because not many people remember that. Yeah, and the cool thing about collecting them was, I think there were only about, like, six to the collection. So once you got, like, the truck, the helicopter, motorcycle, and the really cool red car, which kind of launched missiles and stuff. Uh, I mean, I think there was maybe one or two other things, but those were pretty cool collectibles, too. Not to mention the uh, original Transformers there as well. Yeah, and, I mean, and they're, like, uh, literally designing... Um our childhoods. But again, it's just about those memories. I think that connect us to childhood. And I think at the end of the day, no matter whether you're, you know, 21 years old or you're 78, I think uh, those were some magical years for all of us. And it, especially during these dark times now, it's just great to kind of reflect back to those times of innocence, you know? Yeah. Um, so after you, um, now that you've been in um, a part of that, now that you're a part, officially sealed in the part of that um, uh, universe, uh, do you see things 
how do you see things differently? Like I remember reading somewhere um, where George Lucas said something along the lines of, um, I don't know how he said it, but it was something along the lines of people don't understand that for me, it's like a different experience because I'm writing it or I'm on set and I'm doing things. And so I'm making the whole thing. So when I see it, I don't see it the same way the fans do. I see it like as like I'm looking at my, I'm judging my own work. Um, yeah. So I, I've, around, I've been around film for about 20 years. So, I mean, that magic is kind of worn off in that regard, similar to what Lucas is saying. At the same time, um, you know, if I when I put on The Mandalorian and that 4K and that beautiful LED screen and watch all eight episodes, uh, I, I'm sort of transported myself. I mean, you know, and I don't even take it to where, you know, I, I was looking at, um, you know, what was happening behind the scenes. When I saw the standoff at Navarro on screen, I felt like I was in a different universe, even though I was there. Uh, <laughs> that's how magical uh, the special effects are, especially with this new technology now, this LED screen, which is just beyond words. So I, I think it's kind of like a little bit of half and half to where I've been around it for so long. So sometimes when I watch a movie, I'm like, oh, that's the, you know, the top of Mulholland Drive. That's not over in any town USA. Uh, but also at the same time, I'm able, you know, if it's a great story and there's great actors, even if I'm a part of it, uh, I'm able to be transformed to that uh, or to transport to that universe and, and have a good time like all the other viewers as well. Um, do you have a favorite scene? Uh, I, I can't imagine that you would choose one or just one, but do you have a favorite scene of like an all Star Wars-ness? Um Yes. Uh, I, I'm, an I'm an Italian, so I always say that I'm a romantic. And the one beautiful thing that I love is the connection between Carrie Fisher and Harrison Ford. And uh, I, the most classic, my favorite episode, of course, is episode five. Um, but just that classic line of her saying, I love you, and him saying, I know. And uh, it was just <laughs> that beautiful moment where they know each other just like man and woman. Uh, you know, and to have that, you know, that connection, both of them being alphas, uh, I thought was one of the most beautiful uh, uh, moments in, in uh, Star Wars history. If you had to choose one character aside from Gecko, what would be your favorite character? Again, uh, I know that's probably like, you know. No, no, you know, what I've been saying lately is it's, it's an age of strong women. And I support strong women. I also support strong men. I have two sons. And for me, that alpha male was uh, Han Solo. It was Harrison Ford. Mm. And I don't have any apologies in regards to that. You know, he's a strong man. Uh, he took charge. He took control. He also had charisma and charm. Uh, there were, you know, there's, there was nothing wrong about him. Uh, I followed Harrison Ford's career. We all have that certain actor or director that we will follow and watch every one of their films, uh, whether we know the storyline or not. And Harrison Ford has been that for me. Uh, his commanding presence. He's an old school Hollywood movie star. He deserves all the respect that he's been given throughout the, the course of his career. Um, but it's been Han Solo without question. So the Mandalorian takes place between Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens. Can you tell us about the events that led up to the Mandalorian timeline? Uh, well, you know, it's interesting that you say that because I actually thought the child was going to be a pre-story for, uh, because what the, he had a baby on set. So I actually thought that it was going to be a pre-story for, uh, uh, we've got, um, uh, Ray, Poe, or Finn. So I thought it was going to be actually a, a little bit of a backstory, uh, to, to those three characters. But I think basically what we're doing is we're going to start moving towards the rise of the new order, uh, as the seasons progress. And I think ultimately that's what's going to connect it to the, uh, the, the the sequel of the uh, trilogy there. I So when there was a Yoda-like looking character, I think a lot of us assumed that it was Yoda or it is Yoda. No, I saw no, because Yoda died in episode six. It wasn't so much that, but it's just a question of maybe perhaps if he was reincarnated, uh, you know, 50 years after, uh, I think it takes place about, uh, I, I'm not sure if it's 50 years after or so, but 
uh, Baby Yoda is 50 years old, and uh, I forget the exact timeline as to when Yoda died himself, uh, and now when the child was born. Uh, but I think, if anything, that you, you know, you may have a comparison there that we may find out about in season two or season three. Um, but ultimately, the beauty that John and Dave have created is sort of this entire sort of side story. And I know, yes, I think he's definitely going to incorporate a little bit more of the Clone Wars and Rebels and such. I know we saw the animal from Rebels, that little kind of scruffy cat and stuff that he loves to he loves to intertwine. Uh, but ultimately, they've created something in and of itself that's just a beautiful Star Wars story. So I think there'll be a little bit of mixture uh, to lead to Episode 7 and uh, to talk about, obviously, Episode 6 and the, the other stories within Star Wars. But I think they're onto something really special to where the Mandalorian story is going to branch off into its own uh, unique beauty there as well. Yeah, um, I just I saw some. I, I think I, I saw an interview of um, of uh, Bob Iger. I think it was Bob Iger saying that it's it's not it's not Yoda. So I was like, oh, that's that's confusing. But anyway, yeah. um, how do you feel the Mandalorian show holds up to the Star Wars universe in TV, movies, and comics? Uh, I think it's up there with the best of them. You know, John and Dave. Uh, and now Deborah Chow, I think they're fans like the rest of us. So I think uh, they're really looking out for our best interest. Uh, they understand what makes a good storyline. They understand the magic of Star Wars, uh, connecting it to strong uh, characters, strong acting, strong performances. Uh, so I think it holds up with the best of them. And I think those eight episodes were there to show us uh, what they can do. I didn't even think, you know, you speak softly, but carry a big stick. And I think that's what season one did. And I think we're in for uh, in store for a lot more excitement. October uh, is going to be October 4th, I believe, is season two. We'll see what happens, but uh, I'm really excited for season two and uh, to see where John and Dave take this amazing series there. Um, what do you what do you think is the attraction to for like generations of Star Wars fans? What do you think keeps people um, coming back and being so so into it two things i think their attention to detail uh that goes back to the days of lucas i mean the amount of work and hours that they've been put in uh to even you know i mean you take my days on set they had 20 creatures to create and they worked two hours on my character and out of 20 creatures uh that need to be ready within two hours to be on set and ready to go um so i think it's those details and i think the coolness of the design of uh, the weaponry uh, of creating this universe in such detail that makes it real but also what you're connecting it to. You don't necessarily have to be a sci-fi fan. It's a connection and the parallels to life. When you look at Obi-Wan and Anakin's relationship in episode three, you're not necessarily seeing a fight between good and evil. You're seeing maybe perhaps you and your brother. When you are looking uh, at battle between <laughs> and Darth Vader in episode five, it's not Luke and Darth Vader. It is you and your father. Yeah. But your father wants him to join he, he wants you to join him in his family business. He doesn't want you to be an artist. He doesn't want you to go down this path. So it's the parallels to life that connect us in a way spiritually, but also at the same time, the mythology combined with, with Yoda's story. And then also you have the magic of John Williams where you can basically, I mean, you know, go back to our early childhood to where music speaks to us earlier than the words. And the magic of John Williams, the fact that he is at such a, a whole different level in terms of his talent. And to be able to bring that uh, to so many generations as we can feel through his music, if you have a beating pulse, you can feel the magic of John Williams. When you combine all of that together, not to mention now even the new uh, score from The Mandalorian where they kind of turned it on its ear, but it's still so catchy and it really pulls at our heartstrings. Um, you have just a beautiful uh, a complete recipe of, of keeping everybody uh, enticed, uh, not only for our generation, but many generations to come there. What is the one way that you think 
that Star Wars has in, um, influenced the um, entertainment industry the most? Oh boy, I mean, I, I would say ultimately with the technology, uh, you know, uh, before uh, George Lucas, before Star Wars, I think sci-fi films were uh, taught as, I mean, they were kind of pinned as a joke. They were pinned, uh, you know, you had the Ed Wood movies or you had these cheesy B movies, you know, at the, uh, you know, these grindhouse, uh, uh, you know, old school uh, cinemas, you know, to where they were kind of corny and hokey. I think <laughs> Alec Guinness, I don't even think he had much hope for it or uh, Harrison Ford in terms of just getting involved with it at that time. I don't think anyone knew how special it was. So I think it was really bringing Hollywood to the next level in order to entertain just due to the fact of George Lucas being so ahead of his time in so many ways, not to mention him, but his entire creative team. Um, when does the filming for um, Gecko the Bounty Hunter um, spinoff begins? Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, gonna please. I'll tell you. you know, well, here's the good news. The good news is that, you know, I've been in the business for 20 years, so I just roll with the punches. I, I treat everything as a gift. So if anything more were to happen, it would just be a plus. Um, but also with that being said, you know, I always view everything as the cup half full and just being so grateful to have had this opportunity. Uh, with that being said, again, uh, let's just start with hopefully uh, <laughs> him dusting himself off after the Battle of Navarro, a little scene like that, and being back on the trail for the child. Uh, I'll be happy with that uh, to start. But as far as a whole spinoff, I think uh, I think we're going a little too high here, at least within the next <laughs> 20 years there. Um, you have a pretty busy rest of the year schedule. Um, what are some of the events you have lined up and where can fans find information about these and other event dates? Thank you so much. I have a website, geckothebountyhunter.com. Uh, I am touring the entire country through all the drama and through all the craziness. Uh, I must be crazy myself, but I, it is to promote small business. Every uh, small business is going to get 15% of all the proceeds uh, at this meet and greet chance. I'm going to have autographs, uh, different styles of merchandise. We're starting in Vegas, going to Phoenix, Dallas, Corpus Christi, Houston, Tulsa, Oklahoma, <laughs> Omaha, Nebraska, Fort Dodge, Iowa, Sioux City, Iowa, Chicago, Fort... Uh, uh, we're going to do with South Bend, Indiana, Dearborn Heights, Michigan, uh, Cleveland, Tennessee, and Miami, and then finish off in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Over the period of 40 days, it's going to be like the Bounty Hunter <laughs> NORAD tracks in Santa. They're going to do the Bounty Hunter tracks, NORAD style. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun, a really fun road trip. I've been, you know, cooped up just like everybody else. I wish I could take all the Star Wars fans with me. But if you are in one of those towns, please go to GeckoTheBountyHunter.com where you can see uh, when, when I'll be appearing and where. And not only supporting my merch, but also the small business store, especially during this time, we're all trying to get on our feet. Uh, in my opinion, every job is essential. Uh, we'll also be working closely with the 501st Legion, as well as the Mandalorian Mercs to give back to their charities. Uh, they do so much uh, for the local communities, and it's such an honor to be involved with their communities through the, uh, our love of Star Wars. Uh, so it's going to be a really fun journey. I'm starting June 28th, and it finishes off August 8th. So uh, it should be a lot of fun on the road, but America literally is going to be my home for 40 days. It's like, it's, you know, you do what you love. It's like, I love Star Wars. I love traveling. I love, like I said, all the different restaurants and food. And most importantly, I love people. Um, but the comic book stores have just been so incredibly accommodating. Uh, and, and it's just, gonna, I think, going to be just a fun experience. And for me, it's just, I think, just a little bit more special during this time. I think during World War II and some of the wars, you had entertainers come out uh, to wherever the, you know, the battlefield was or some of the war sites and kind of just to give, put a little smile on people's faces. So if I can do that for people and at the same time, you know, uh, put a smile on my face, the fact that we can share our love of Star Wars and also uh, promote this amazing bounty hunter, uh, it's just sort of a dream for me. Uh, and I, I think I'll be okay with the heat. Uh, some days will be, you know, five-hour drive. Some days will be two hours. 
Uh, some days will be nine, but ultimately, I love oh, America. And you're driving? I, I love just hitting that road there. There's a lot of um, comic, are there a lot of comic shops in this tour? Oh, that's all it is. There are no oh, okay. conventions. Yeah, all the conventions have been canceled. So that was the other reason I wanted to do it, because I wanted to do this campaign just for this year alone, is I had 25 uh, conventions planned, uh, but unfortunately, they're all canceled. And I just want to get a chance to not only promote the character, but also get a chance to meet all the uh, other Star Wars fans that, on a, you know, in a situation where I normally wouldn't have that opportunity uh, anytime, you know, for the rest of my life, more or less, uh, you know, unless they do do that side story of Gecko. So it was really, it's really important to me to be able to get out there, meet everybody. Uh, and like I said, uh, cheer myself up and also uh, cheer everyone else up along the way there. Yeah, that's cool. You definitely have uh, brought a lot of um, inspiration and uh, uh, hope into into my life personally. Um, and I really appreciate you being here and, um, and doing this with us. Thank you um, so much. And uh, with that being said, this brings us to the end of this episode of, of Raw Podcast. I'd like to thank my very special guest, whom I cannot thank enough for being on this show. Get to know even more about Dominic at GeckoTheBountyHunter.com, which includes some pretty cool stuff like autographed photo art, pins, tour dates, and a whole lot more. Um, I have my uh, Gecko the Bounty Hunter pin here. Um, it is actually amazingly somehow signed even on the back <laughs> um, in, in metal and uh, pretty cool stuff like this too. And uh, you can get that at uh, GeckoTheBountyHunter.com. And uh, until next time, this is Robert Signs, and I'll see you later. <laughs>